0: Anybody who's trying to stay on the front line, whether it's preaching, teaching, leading the church, writing, music, leading, it's always hard. It's always challenging because it's always people. If it's hard, you're probably doing it right.
1: This is the Worship Circle Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Todd Fields, and you're listening to the Worship Circle Podcast. We are a community of worship leaders, worship mentors, they want to come around you and remind you that you are loved and that you're not alone when you lead week after week. We have an online coaching community led by Christy Knuckles, Kim Walker-Smith, Paul Baloche, Jeremy Riddle, Meredith Andrews, and myself. We meet monthly. We do six-month terms of training. And we'd love for you to check us out at worshipcircle.com. Well, The way you can jump in immediately and get a taste of what God's doing through this community is to be part of our summit, which is coming up on September 12th. And it'll be from 2 to 5 Eastern time. You can find out more at worshipcircle.com forward slash summit. Just go to our website and check it out. You'll get all that information. Secondly, we have a new term starting in the back half of October. You can jump in with that and apply. And lastly, we have a retreat coming up on the West Coast in Santa Cruz, California, November 7 through 9. Always a great time to unplug from church work and just hit pause and sit with brothers and sisters Worship together, tell stories of God's faithfulness, and just pray with each other. It's going to be awesome, so we'd love to see you there as well. Regardless of where you're listening from today, we want to keep in touch with you, and we want you to keep in touch with us in this community. You can do that by subscribing to the podcast right now on iTunes or whatever outlet you're listening to it on. You can also follow us on social media, and we'd love for you to do that right now. There's so much important information coming up, and we don't want you to miss a single thing. Our Instagram username is simply at Worship Circle, and our Facebook page is at My Worship Circle. That's at My Worship Circle. So give us a follow right now or immediately following this episode, and you won't miss a single tip, a single help for what we're going to be dishing out for you and your worship community. Well, my next guest is Andy Stanley, and when I say that name, it literally rocks my history. (laughs) Because Andy actually married my wife Carrie and I uh, 21 years ago. He also was our youth pastor growing up here in Atlanta at a church called First Baptist Church of Atlanta. His dad, Charles Stanley, you guys have heard Charles' name just preaching on a thing called In Touch Globally, this massive network, and always just been an awesome Bible teacher. But Andy, in the same way, has just been a force to be reckoned with for the kingdom of God and helping people who are lost from God and far from the church, know that they're loved by God and that they can be brought into a relationship with him. So it's been my joy to walk beside Andy for years. He's taught me so much in music and ministry and life. He and his wife, Sandra, their kids, just awesome what God continues to do through all of them. So it was my joy to sit down with him not too long ago and reflect a little bit of this first part's historical, so hang in there. We're going to get to some practical, awesome nuggets that you and your pastor need to check out that are going to help you in your worship ministry week after week. So here it is, my great friend and ministry partner, Andy Stanley. Hey, everybody. I'm honored to be sitting with uh, a man that's had a massive impact in my life, um, Andy Stanley. Uh, Andy and I met in 1984. But we were talking, um, even before we get started, there's there's two things I wanted just to, to bring up. One is... Um, we were reflecting on this idea when you have kids, people come up to you when you first have your baby, and they're like, it's going to go by faster than you think. (laughs) And you're thinking, it's not going by very
0: fast (laughs) right now. (laughs) You're
1: like, no, I'm in the day-to-day. I'm right in the middle of it. It's not going to go by fast. But um, as I look back on our relationship and just all that God's done on this journey in ministry, it seems like yesterday, but there's a lot of uh, God stories in between. Um, The other thing that I just want to start off with, because we're going to be looking back at the first part of this interview, is uh, Andy told me a long time ago, I was in college, I was interning with him, that um, oftentimes God's will, and you're trying to follow him, if you're looking forward, you're trying to be obedient, you're trying to be faithful. Um, And you you may not see what he's doing, but as you look back on your life, it's clear when you're trying to be obedient to him and just following him that he did have a hand in all the details. So we're going to look back a little bit on some of those details and um, just welcome. Thanks for being here. Oh, my
0: gosh. I, I couldn't wait to do this. And the thing is, Todd, it's going to be hard to stay on the subject because there's <laughs> so much history, yeah. so much history. But
1: now, tell us a little bit of your background. Just I know you grew up you were you were somewhere before First Baptist when your dad, Charles Stanley, was the pastor there. But
0: just a little bit of your family background getting you guys to. Yeah, well, I was born in North Carolina and a little tiny town outside of Hendersonville. And Hendersonville is a little tiny town. And my dad was a pastor, moved around a good bit, um, ended up in Ohio of all places. My sister was born there. Uh, Then we ended up in Bartow, Florida, outside of Lakeland, which is, you know, again, you may know where Lakeland is. You probably don't know where Bartow, Florida is. And then my dad, uh, when I was in the uh, fifth grade, uh, was called or had an opportunity to come to Atlanta and be the associate pastor at First Baptist Atlanta, which he did not want to do. He'd been a senior pastor his whole career. And a friend really just talked him into at least showing up for the interview and the way my dad tells it, he was just down praying one day, and um, he just felt like God said go. In fact, he, his story is he felt like God said, I'm going to move you mm-hmm. before he got the phone call. When he got the phone call, he thought, well, not Atlanta and not associate pastor. Um, a lot of interesting stories. He showed up. The, the guy that was the lead pastor, senior pastor, you know, was you know had some issues, um, you know, they Brought my dad to his office and his desk was locked. Nobody knew where the key was, and uh, so it was, you know, it was a pretty tough time for our family. The transition for him moving from you know associate pastor to senior pastor was very tumultuous. Mm-hmm. i told some of those stories, so that's how we ended up in Atlanta. So I started off. I moved here in the uh, I was in the sixth grade. So, so you had a lot. Of, you spent a lot of time in the church. Yeah, and, and I always loved the church. You know, yeah. I was never the uh, rebellious preacher's kid. I, you know, I had you know, it was far, far, far from perfect. But I always
1: loved the local church. What are some of the things about that time in your life that you feel like if you reflect back, you go um you go to you could see God planting a seed in you in those days in First Baptist here you're in high school, you're growing up there. Are there any memories you have of moments where it was like you're up to something, I
0: don't see it yet, but Well, yeah, and I and I again I give my parents, and my dad specifically credit for this, since I was a kid, and I I did this with my kids, and I've encouraged parents to do this with their kids, my dad always encouraged me to pray, God, show me your will for my life. Show me Mm -hmm. your will for my life. Show me your will for my life. You have a plan for my life. I I don't want to miss it. Um, So that was, you know, and if you pray that over and over, and it's sort of on the front burner, you consequently, you're kind of looking for it. Yeah. You know, the, the thing he would say, too, and I don't know that this is theologically correct, or but it certainly was helpful. He would say, you don't want to miss God's plan for your life. You don't want to miss his will for your life. And if you're messing around, if you're rebelling, or if you're, you know, kind of doing your own thing— You could miss it. So now, again, you know, as a kid and as a middle schooler in high school, the way I processed that was, gee, what if I'm, you know, screwing around on Thursday and God decides to tell me his plan for my life on Thursday and I miss it and spend the rest of my life wandering in the wilderness of what's God's plan for my life? That's – I don't think that's how it works. But again, you know, it sort of got processed that way. So I had, I feel like, a really healthy fear or reverence for God. And a deep desire to discover God's plan for my life and to follow it. So I think, in terms of the seeds being planted, mm-hmm. it was really in that general, general, in a general sense. And I think that's a powerful thing. In yeah. fact, um, this is you're going to feel you're going to think I'm making this up, but um, when I was in high school, I started journaling. Kind of mm-hmm. uh, one of the guys that came to our youth camp taught us said, "Hey, you need to start a prayer journal." So I have my journal from the eleventh grade my very first journal entry, I can show it to you. My Mm -hmm. very first journal entry was this in the 11th grade. If I ever have a son of my own, (laughs) I'm going to encourage him to ask God to show him his will for their life. This has helped me very much. That is my first (laughs) journal entry in my first journal from the 11th grade. I still have it. So, the whole idea of A God who cares for us at the individual level was a powerful concept that has – it really has shaped my life, my preaching, my teaching, my ministry ever since.
1: That's huge. That's powerful. Um, You mentioned camp. Yeah. Um, Guys, those of you listening, there's so many, like, intricate, like, pieces of this fabric woven together. But um, there was a guy named Dan DeHaan who knew Louie giglio and andy like i knew him we carpool with our kids we're going to first baptist andy's growing up at first baptist with his dad but i brought up louie because i know in that time growing up in church you guys were compadres a bit yeah yeah, we met
0: in the sixth grade when i moved to atlanta and we met at camp and have been friends ever since and dan dehan the gentleman you mentioned um he was killed in a plane crash when he was 33 Mm -hmm. um He had a tremendous impact on us because just about every summer he would show up and teach at our youth camp down at Hilton Head. And he, gosh, I mean, he taught us about standards. He talked about friendship. He talked about Jesus in such big, glorious, you know, fantastic ways. And Dan was a really cool guy that uh, you wanted to be like, Mm -hmm. and he was this, you know, kind of cool Christian guy. Um, So, yeah, he had a a huge impact on my life and and on Louie and lots of other folks as well. You, apparently, so—
1: yeah, um, jumping a little bit, but when I was interning with you when I was in college, I remember his son Ben brought his journal in. Yeah. He had found it, and I said, can I borrow this? And I remember sitting in the corner of the office there in First Baptist just reading the pages going, this guy legitimately walked with God. Yeah. Like he, yeah. he 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 had a heart for people. He was always investing in someone. It would just blew me yeah. away, but no, to know that he poured into you and Louie is just— it's a pretty crazy. Yeah.
0: And I think thing. for those you know people on the other end of this microphone, that's the thing. And again, because we have so much history, you just never know. You never know the statement, the sentence, the the, the yeah. lunch, the dinner, the breakfast. Or you never know, you know, there was a, a kid that I discipled in high school that I thought, honestly, it was a complete waste of my time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he never seemed to, quote, get it. He'd show <laughs> up. He'd show up late. We'd kind of go through the deal, whatever we we're doing. And I just, I mean, almost a year, almost a full school year with him, yeah. I thought, what a complete waste of time. Years later, I run into his grandmother, and she goes on and on. And she's quoting back all this stuff that he told her I taught him. I'm like, <laughs> I I didn't think he paid, you know, so yeah. we just never know. So you be obedient, you lean in, you yeah. kind of chase those, those little prompt, prompts that God gives us. And then you look back years later and you go, wow, yeah. you know, look what God did. So
1: you went to Georgia State college yeah yep. what um how did you i mean people probably ask this all the time for anyone going into ministry but what was the kind of thing that caused you to th- think i'm gonna head off to seminary i'm gonna go into ministry
0: was there a moment that you know no and and everybody's story is a little bit different but I, I it was i was in college my second year of college i guess sophomore year and um and a lot of my friends were surrendering to ministry, Louis, you know, Wes Cantrell, Tim mm-hmm. Bilbeck, a lot of names, people, some heard, haven't heard, all this this group of people, They were. it was like the, the season where everybody was going to be a preacher, and they would go down after the service and tell my dad, and my dad would stand up in front of the church and say, this is Tim, and he feels like God's called him into ministry, and I would sit there and think, okay, you know, come on, you know, I'd <laughs> try to feel it, so... One day um we're driving somewhere, just it's just me and my dad, and I, I, this is literally what happened. I said, Dad, do you have to be called into the ministry or can you just volunteer? <laughs> because <laughs> I, volunteer. I had a desire, you know, to do you know, to serve in the local church, but I didn't know that I felt called. And so he said, No, nah, I think you can volunteer. I said, Well, I would like to volunteer. And so yeah. that was <laughs> that was my moment. Well, some people don't know. Like when
1: I met you, you were playing a guitar. You knew how to play keyboards, but music was a, a part of your life somewhat in high school. And tell us a little bit about,
0: you yeah, know, what that. you were doing. Did it you ever was, think, hey, I'm going to be a musician? Yeah, I, all, you know, the first uh, I got uh, Elton John's album Honky Road. I was in the 10th grade. I sat down at the piano and learned every song, just listening to a record, not a tape, yeah. no rewind <laughs> vinyl a record, vinyl, yeah. <laughs> And um that was it for me. I, I was taking guitar lessons and it dawned on me, hey, there must be, I bet there are chords on the piano as well as a guitar. And so I taught myself octaves and chords and I was off to the races, broke multiple strings on our family's <laughs> piano, just bang banging out of it. <laughs> then I years later I I heard Billy Joel was being interviewed and he talked about how he would break strings on the piano. I'm like, I knew it. I knew yeah. I was onto something, you know. are yeah, destined for greatness. So I actually got a kit so I could tune our piano because I just destroyed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so then started writing music and then, you know, started doing, you know, I went off seminary and, you know, kept doing music and writing and, um, but in high school, you know, I, I really wanted to do music as a career and yeah. it was kind of a little sort, you know, a little tension with me and my dad, mm-hmm. um, because of course, you know, back then there were there was no middle road when it came to, middle of the road when it came to music. It was all secular and horrible, yeah. especially the seventies. Yeah. And then there were hymns, and so there was you know yeah. there was. But my mom, she was you know, she was right down the middle. She just loved to listen to me play. Didn't yeah. matter what I was playing. Didn't matter. Oh. So loved music. Had thought maybe I would uh, go that direction, and it turned out that I didn't. Yeah. And didn't need to because I met people like you who were so much better, and well, so I, much more talented. A lot of
1: people don't know, but when I met guys, when I met Andy, I walked into this youth group. My brother had said, "There's this guy here. He's man. You got to come hear him speak." But he also sings and plays guitar and plays keyboards. But you're a good, great keyboard player, great guitar player. And I remember ski trip being with you and getting that guitar out you had, and you showed me some things and chords, and I was still trying to figure it all out. But I learned a lot about just simplicity in music and and thinking through so i learned a lot but um crazy thing is we started this thing in youth group called good stuff yep and guys andy was the head of our band i don't know i was thinking about before we did this interview i'm you think about those defining moments in your life and i remember being on peachtree street in the back of my parents car and telling my mom and dad that you had said, hey, I'm going to hold band auditions. (laughs) If anyone's interested in playing guitar or whatever, let us know. And I don't know who I called, but the next thing I knew, I was in Johnny Moser's house with you. Yep. And we were going through songs with um, Ben Coker, and we're trying to figure out what we're going to play that Sunday. And that was the beginning for me of what would become the rest of my Yeah, your like, career. Yeah. <laughs> and I oftentimes wonder if my mom and dad had not pushed me into that, uh, I wouldn't be
0: doing what I'm doing. But Well, I had to say something about that too. And for those of you parents out there, this is this is a big moment. Okay, this may be the reason you're listening to this podcast. In the '80s, you know, when I first met Todd, you we were in the ninth ninth grade. Yeah, there was this push, this anti rock music push in the church, and everybody was going around talking about backmasking and, uh, you know, just it's all horrible and anapestic beat and short, short, long, short, short, long, and backwards heartbeat and all this crazy stuff. So parents were, you know, you know they were in a rage. You know, we got to get rid of all this bad music. Meanwhile, Todd's wise parents, instead of fighting it, joined it. So his dad bought a bass, right? Yep. <laughs> um, your brother played drums. Yeah. And you're playing guitar. And so while the other parents are trying to, you know, st- take their kids' music and edit the lyrics and all kind of crazy stuff, Todd's dad is in the basement teaching them Beatles tunes. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I tell you, as a I was I was I wasn't married then, so you know didn't have any kids. I will never forget. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking that is the way to parent. Yeah. You find out your kids' passions and you join them instead of fighting them. And then I think about the relationship that you and Brad had with your parents all those years, mm-hmm. and the solidarity in your family around values and the church and Christianity yeah. and where both of you guys are today. Versus some of those parents who went to war yeah. with their kids over the dumbest stuff. Yeah. So. Again, even during those days when people weren't so sure we should be doing what we're doing over in the youth, you know, with high school students and middle school students, your parents, they, <laughs> they just got that right. And I never forgot that. And when yeah. we started, you know, when we became parents, I thought, okay, I'm going to find out what my kids are passionate about, and I'm going to join them, no matter yeah. what it is, whether I'm really interested or not, and even if it scares me. Mm. Um, so I, I'm very grateful just for yeah. watching your family all those years, Todd. Oh, thank you. It's
1: crazy. They they had a massive hand in that. I mean, we would listen to all kind of music in the car. Well, they, and they weren't were, afraid. Yeah, they were just in it yeah. with us. But it was crazy back then. There was literally war over – This is before contemporary and traditional. This is like the foundation before that. Yeah. And you could tell that culture, things were starting to come against each other. So the Good Stuff days happened. Guys, we had a band, um, different people playing in the band, but we had a few hundred students from all over Atlanta coming Wednesday nights to church. Imagine that. Downtown. I mean, downtown. Yeah, I mean,
0: I, I wouldn't even let my kids go downtown.
1: <laughs> oh, gosh. Those were some rich days, though. I mean, the camps we had, um, just all the amazing people that were involved in leading. What kind of a—how um how do you feel like that laid any kind of foundation for where we are today? Like, it do you was, feel like you were tasting something yes, definitely. that led you to go, hey, there's a different yeah. way?
0: Well, what we saw together—and again, this is so— I mean, this is such old information, but all those years ago, it wasn't. We discovered the power of an environment. Mm -hmm. We discovered the power of a different kind of room with a different kind of look, different kind of feel, different kind of communication, different kind of music. Um, We saw kids who were far from God, whose Mm -hmm. parents couldn't believe that they were going to drive, in in some cases, 30, 45 minutes through traffic to come to a one-hour deal with music and teaching. We discovered and saw the power of an environment, Mm -hmm. and that has shaped both of us ever since. So when I had an opportunity to start a different kind of uh, church out of my dad's church, I knew the environment's Mm -hmm. everything. It's not just what you say. It's not just how you say it. It is the environment matters. So I think the big takeaway Mm. from those years in student ministry— was environment. And so when we started North Point years later, essentially I would tell people, look, we're gonna do student ministry for adults. That's just don't don't freak mm-hmm. out. This is we're just gonna do what we did in student ministry for adults because environment matters and there are unnecessary obstacles sometimes to people coming to faith and people being able to latch on to the message of the scriptures and of Jesus. And so let's strip away as much of that as we can. And again, that's kind of what everybody mm-hmm. you know, we all think that way now. But you as you know Back then, yeah. I mean, people looked at us like you know we were <laughs> abandoning the faith. So yeah. anyway, yeah, that yeah, was those right. were very those were very formative years.
1: The other massive uh, thing I remember, I remember being in the back hallway. We were with a band, and one night Andy said, "I'm bringing somebody special," and he walks uh, Sandra, who's your wife, and got you're like, "Guys, I want you to meet Sandra?" And uh, it was amazing because that was the first time we had ever met her, and yeah. now all these years later. Yeah. Crazy.
0: Yeah. Well I didn't know she was gonna be my wife then. But <laughs> you mean, I was, I was her. introducing her to my world. It's yeah. like, okay, if we're gonna date, here's yeah. a part of my world you need to see. You need to you need to love teenagers. In fact, um when we started dating, she was just twenty. She's eight years younger than me. Yeah. Okay, so I'm twenty eight, she's twenty. <laughs> and, and on our after that environment she sat through all the stuff, you know, and we're driving she 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 brings this up all the time. <laughs> I said, So um have you ever Worked with teenagers, and she turned to me. And she said, "I just finished being one." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh yeah, we're well, I meant more like high school students." And she just yeah. kind of laughed because she just turned 20. So uh, yeah, and but again, you if you asked Sandra what were some of the most productive years of ministry mm. that we had together, it was those years. Yeah. I mean, the relationships that we have mm-hmm. since then. With you and so many people who are in our still in our lives, who work mm-hmm. with us, who work for us, who've gone on to do incredible things. Yeah, uh, those were extraordinary years, and uh, we we love the years of student ministry.
1: I remember this moment too. Uh, I was in the youth office, and you had been on a trip, and you came back, and you basically you didn't sit us all down, but you were so kind of enthusiastic about what you had just seen or experienced, and I didn't know. Where you had been or what you had done, but you, you you got back and you said, "Guys, I need to tell you what I just saw." And you had been to Willow Creek. Yep. And I'd known you, you know, years up until then, but it's almost like a switch turned yep. on, and yep. everything that you had, that God had been maybe laying as a foundation or a dream, like the switch got turned on, and yep. you had seen something. You're like, I, I, "I'm not going to ever be the same." What yeah, happened? 19- there? Nineteen
0: ninety one. I think it's nineteen ninety one. Um, I went to uh, Willow Creek leadership conference, and Mm -hmm. then stayed for their weekend services, their midweek service and weekend service. And, you know, you you dream about something or you imagine something, and then you see that somebody's doing it, and you think, aha, I I thought it might be possible. I know it's possible because (laughs) now I've seen one. (laughs) And so those few days at Willow, listening to Bill Hybels talk about leadership Mm -hmm. in the church— Looking at their structure, the fact they really were organized around reaching people who were far from God, I thought – and the fact that he started in student ministry. I mean, Willow Creek Church started as a student ministry, and everybody just got older, became a church, an adult church. Um, It it really was a defining moment, and Mm -hmm. I came back so dissatisfied. Oh, my gosh. And I, I did not necessarily handle all that. The best way. Mm -hmm. I just was so excited. I thought, well, everybody's going to be excited about this. (laughs) And and they weren't. But it was not long after that, that um, our church decided to relocate, bought a bunch of property outside of downtown, a lot of warehouse space. And the deacons asked me to go up there and, hey, would you start a service up there until we can sell the downtown property and move? And we had an opportunity to experiment with some of those ideas that mm-hmm. we had been learning in student ministry that we sort of got inspired by watching what Bill Hybels was doing in Chicago. And again, just defining moments for us that are a, a big part of what we're doing today.
1: It's crazy that, you know, God was already doing what you had envisioned. You know, there, the, it wasn't just one place, one thing he was doing, like he was doing something that he
0: wanted to happen for his kingdom. And you got to see that and it was like, okay, this can be done. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. it's, and one of the cool things that happens now, and, and especially um, beginning maybe 10 years ago, we're, our organization, we're, our church is 21 years old, so about 10 years ago, beginning to hear more and more stories of people coming to our DRIVE conference that we do every other year mm-hmm. or coming to our services and saying, you know what you did? You gave me permission. You yeah. gave me permission. And so to do for another generation what mm-hmm. they did for us, just it's just permission giving. It's like, you know what? This can work. This can happen. I need to figure out how to you know, put this within the context of my city or my town or my church. And um, to be a permission giver like Bill was to us, is just it's just a powerful thing. Let's talk a little bit about music, about worship,
1: kind of the next part of this. Random question, but it's got a point. What's your favorite hymn or worship song? What would you say? I know there's a zillion out no, there. No, <laughs>
0: that's a good question. And just so our audience knows, Todd, I asked Todd to send me some of these questions ahead of time so I could give it some thought. And of course, nobody, I guess, really has a favorite hymn, maybe, or a favorite worship song, but I'll tell you what came to mind, and I've thought about this for the mm-hmm. last two or three days, and I'm just gonna stick with my initial answer. And it's a blend. Mm-hmm. I love Mac Powell's version of Blessed Assurance. Okay. And I love the hymn Blessed Assurance, and yeah. I love Mac Powell's version of basically anything. Yeah. <laughs> but when I listened to and the first time I heard it was live, and then I found it somewhere that he yeah. had recorded. And I love the hymn. Mm-hmm. Because uh, of the lyrics of the hymn, and I love what he's done with it, and it kind of brings those two worlds together the ancient and modern, not mm-hmm. really ancient, but you know, that, yeah. that generation where those rich hymns and those it's rich a lyrics are song. written. And mm-hmm. I love the fact that Mac and, and you, Todd, and, and others continue to mm-hmm. bring some of those um, older lyrics back to life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your version of it as well with my soul is just so extremely, extraordinarily powerful. But mm-hmm. that, that's my answer. It's Blessed Assurance by Mac Powell. Awesome. Yeah. What is the win for
1: you? You've been around singing, worship services, stadiums, church services, small environments, large um, – in your mind, in your heart, what's the win in a service? What's the bullseye, kind of shooting for musically with what you want to see? Ha- what do you want to see happen yep. with music? Um,
0: and you know, I'll I want to I'll give you my answer, but I want to put it in the broader context. If there's, I don't think there's one right way to do yeah. this. You know, it's it has to do with style. It really has to do a lot with what a church is trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And we've been very intentional through the years. And I don't think every church needs to be alike. I don't. I definitely don't think that's the case. There's room for for all of us but from the very beginning we wanted to create environments going back to that word that unchurched people could uh, be a part of and feel a part of even before they believe mm-hmm. what we hope they one day believe and i get this from what Je- you know and when jesus started his ministry his invitation wasn't come and do something or even come and believe something. It was just follow me, follow me. Yeah. So we've tried to be very intentional about creating an hour and five minutes if we're talking just specifically about Sunday morning experience. Mm-hmm. That is basically a come follow me experience. We include corporate singing, um, you know, our, our corporate worship through music and all of our services. Mm-hmm. But we, we shape that with that broader um, goal or that broader intention in mind. So to, to answer your question, the win for me – Is when someone can hear a song for the first time, and the worship leader has set the song up in such a way, and I'd love to talk about how I think that can be done. (laughs) Not should be done, (laughs) but can be done. Yeah. So that when a person hears a song for the first time, there's something in the song that grabs them emotionally because the power of music mm-hmm. is the emotion. Mm-hmm. And when you combine great emotion and great music with great truth, yeah. it is it's it can be life-changing. A song can be life-changing. Yeah. A lyric can be life-changing. So – you know, my goal for our worship leaders, and when I have an opportunity to sit down and talk to them, or between services, <laughs> when we're, yeah. you know, hey, let's talk about what we just did or what we just experienced. I'm constantly saying to them, let's let's don't worship word it to death. Yeah. And one of our the things that we say around here is, you know, assume they're in the room. Assume they're in the room, mm-hmm. and who we're talking about are unbelievers. Yeah. People have come for the first time. They've been gone. It's the first time in a long time. It's not just, you know, 28-year-old, you know, just got out of college types. Mm-hmm. These are 45-year-old men and 50-year-old men and parents. But just assume they're in the room. So when we introduce that portion of our service that we're about to sing some things and, you know, you're not going to know the songs, <laughs> you're not even going to agree <laughs> with them, you may not like the style. Yeah. You know, how do you do that in such a way that there's still something that at the emotional level, level can capture a person's attention? So that's, that's the win, um, now again, all kinds of wonderful things and great things can happen beyond that or in spite of that. Mm-hmm. But uh, for me, in a Sunday morning or worship yeah. service context, that's the win. I remember
1: um, in the early days when North Point first started, and you would say, "You would, you would." I think, I think what you were trying to do, and as a worship leader, you are going, "Why is my pastor trying to tell me what to do, what <laughs> to say?" It's well because I think you could see the power of music yeah. and the the emotional truth combination of that and go, we're about to land a song that has a weight of a 747 in this room, and you have an opportunity to prepare the runway yeah, for people's exactly. hearts. exactly. And
0: if you don't...
1: Yeah, yeah. you're missing right. this massive opportunity. And it's not a thing of, gosh, I can't believe you didn't do that. It's like, hey, let's partner together. And I remember, you know, coming into your office and you're going, okay, let's talk about how we're going to set this song up. But I want to thank you for doing that, because it, it, it was hard at first, but it, it's, it's given me a new way to think and then pass on to others to help them see that same thing. Mm. Like, guys, as worship leaders and girls, we have this opportunity with one of the most powerful things God created, melody, chords, and music, to stir the human heart. You combine that with a clear message, yep. and it's like— It's better than a sermon. Yeah, you're, and you remember the melody. So thank you, for, you know, for being that you know in my life and pounding on that, because um, speaking of communication— how do you feel like, you know, our churches and in, in your heart, I know, is to speak in a way that a believer would hear something and go, got it, that helped me. But also, you're cognizant of people who don't know the Lord, want, mm-hmm. want them to be attracted. Has that changed your, your style or your thought process and preparation
0: for communication yeah. over the 21 years oh, we've absolutely. been going? And there have been different iterations of that, but about eight years ago, I made— some major adjustments in what I do, um, based on just some things that were happening in our culture, and I didn't tell anybody about it. I just started doing it, and so mm-hmm. I've been doing it for eight years. And then this past year, um, you know, I, I, every once in a while, somebody gets frustrated or gets confused <laughs> by yeah. this thing that I do. So I finally decided to explain it because I've never explained it because there was just no reason to or opportunity to. I just adjusted the way that I approach certain things, and. My motivation was not in any way—well, I, I, I didn't change anything, I believed. It was all about approach. Mm-hmm. And approach is everything. Approach mm-hmm. is everything. I mean, every parent sitting here or listening knows that if you take the wrong approach with your kids— You can say the right thing and the wrong thing happens. You take the right approach, you say the right thing, the right thing happens. Same Mm -hmm. in marriage. You know, I can approach Sandra with something we need to talk about and shut down the conversation, and I end up apologizing, even though (laughs) what what I was going to say needed to be said. It's usually the other way. (laughs) So approach is everything. So when it comes to preaching or teaching or introducing a song, um, it's not enough to say the right words. Uh, Approach is is everything. So consequently— I've changed some of the terminology that I use in preaching and teaching that the, effect, the goal has, is the same as it's ever been. But because we live in a very post-Christian world where everybody's basically heard of Jesus, everybody knows what the Bible is, This this is never going to be new information for most mm-hmm. people. And if they don't believe, it's not because they haven't heard. They don't believe because they heard and decided not to believe. Well, that must impact our approach. If you continue to take the approach of we're going to present this as if it's the first time— In a culture that is saturated with information about the Bible, whether it's correct information or not, Mm -hmm. that's foolish. So, again, about eight years ago, I thought, okay, I'm going to go all in on this and just, you know, adopt a different approach. And it has impacted some of the things that we do, Mm -hmm. and it has certainly impacted how we evaluate. So even song selection at times or song order at times, Mm -hmm. um, as we think in terms of moving people, you know, toward a point of a decision.
1: So, Well, it's been awesome to see just the communication piece combined with the music piece. Um, I think it's helping a lot of people. How have you seen worship change through the year from the time you were younger? You've seen... Um, well, we didn't even call it worship. Yeah, to we start didn't. with... <laughs> we didn't. Or there even were... It was music ministers. Yeah. For, I mean... Music directors. We were all younger, yeah. and now it's uh, worship leader. so that whole concept is different.
0: Well, there's a whole genre of music that just didn't exist. Yeah, I mean, we... Were, you know, what we we had camp songs, yeah. had camp songs <laughs> yeah. were the precursors, and they were all kind of goofy and campy, yeah. and we loved them, and they were repetitious, and kids could get on, and they were all three chords and maybe a minor chord thrown in every once in a while. And then that, you know, eventually evolved to actual, you know, great music that is yeah. this thing that has just blown up, yeah. you know, all over the world, which is so fantastic. Yeah. What do you think um, – Worship in the church is headed.
1: Um, anything you think we need to be aware of as it pertains to reaching people, yet edifying the church at the same time with the songs and any thoughts on that? I am no
0: prophet when it comes to that sort of thing. I think music will always be and should always be a part of mm-hmm. the church. I mean, and it will always be, and mm-hmm. I don't think that'll ever change. Um, I love the fact that we have gotten past the culture war in yeah. terms of style um, and, hey, what's secular versus mm-hmm. sacred? You know, all that kind of terminology, all those arguments and all that conflict has gone away. And for somebody, there are people listening to this podcast they are like, what are you even talking about? Yeah. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you don't know. <laughs> and I can't even begin to tell you the tears that were shed and sometimes the blood that was shed over, Ugh. you know, styles of music. Yeah. Um, but, hey, you know, the, the, the church, you know, we're kind of hanging on to theology. We're hanging on to old things. And if we get methods— and message confused, then, you know, things don't go well. So we're past all of that. So it'll be fun to see what happens. Mm. I I know for musicians, um, it's a challenging time in terms of what happens with, uh, you know, trying to make a living Mm. from any kind of music now is more difficult than ever. That will, I think that will continue to be a challenge. And I think anything the local church can do to help the musicians, Mm. not staff musicians, even just the musicians that are in that the cycle of showing up at campuses and leading mm-hmm. worship or playing anything we can do to help is important and i think creating environments that are conducive to songwriting and helping you know musicians get their one song out yeah. you know the the days of hey i got to write 10 songs and do a cd yeah. gosh I, I, isn't that kind of over i mean it's, yeah. there's a way to get a single song out quickly yeah. Yeah. and the more that we can do that and help musicians monetize that and protect copyrights and protect um, the fact that they, you know, they need to have their undivided attention. Mm-hmm. They need to be able to give undivided attention to creating great music. Yeah, and you can't do that working three jobs and, you know, yeah. being on the road all the time. So I mean, I think all of that will continue to morph and shift. And there's some great models out there. Some there's a bunch of different churches that are approaching that in different ways. And I think at the end of the day, those churches will perhaps create the best music because they've mm-hmm. created the space um, for their artists to work and create and make things yeah. better. I just had a thought this is kind of
1: off script but um I'm thinking of the songs you wrote and good stuff let's not think
0: too much about those we're not going
1: to sing them right now <laughs> but my point is this there's there's people listening that are in churches they're musicians they're worship leaders they're thinking about you know writing songs that God would use them to write a song that's for their church and there's a way to get better at that and there's a way to you know aim high and learn and and to craft something that's actually singable and good but those songs, it didn't matter that the
0: entire world didn't hear them.
1: Yep. in fact, we never expected
0: much of anybody to hear them.
1: But they had a major impact on the lives of the people
0: come. Yeah, yeah. And they still
1: talk about them. Andy and I will run into people that are, you know, that were good stuff back in the day, and I'll we'll go, "Hey, remember that song? Remember those things we used to do?" And that. They still have their cassette tapes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they they've made they've digitized some of that music, yeah. which is both encouraging and scary at the same yeah. <laughs> time because you never know where it's going to show up. But the point is, it's.
1: I think sometimes we get stuck in. God, I'm scared to try to do this because it may not be that great, and the world may not hear it. Yeah. Don't even like. Don't go there. Start with your people. God may give you guys a song and may give you a song as a writer that is totally for your church, totally for your environment or your people that needs to be heard. But don't be shy and go for it, because Annie and I look back and we go, you know, we don't still sing some of those songs, but there was a season. yeah. And God used those songs in a massive way in the lives of tons of high school students. Yep. So.
0: And to, to that point, because that's a great point, is every song is birthed in a context. Mm-hmm. And so whatever context you're currently working in is your context. Yeah. So let that be your context and write to that specific context, whether it's something happening in your personal life, mm-hmm. the context of family, the context of your church, the context of your student ministry. And because mm-hmm. all the songs I wrote were specifically within into the context of what was happening in the lives of high school students— yep. At that particular for that particular generation, and that's why they've not transitioned <laughs> outside that generation. But my goodness, that's that's who we were, yeah. you know. And and my style of writing lyrically was very exhortational. Yeah. You know, I wanted to tell people how to live their life. So yeah. I didn't write worship songs. I wrote "Behave Yourself," "Get With It," "Follow God," <laughs> "Quit Sinning." You know, right? But that was hey, that's who we were talking to. That was yeah. that was sort of what we were doing so yeah context is super important and leaning into that and allowing it to shape mm-hmm. uh, the lyrics especially it, it's it's very important
1: yeah so don't give up keep writing Yep, let's land the plane talk about some personal uh things you've been in ministry 21 well longer than 21 years yeah. north point's been going 21 years Seasons come, seasons go. It's Easter again. It's Christmas again. Oh goodness, it's it, like it is Easter. It's Christmas like again. It feels like it just keeps. What would you say to pastors listening to, you know, staff people listening to people in the church? Um, what are some guardrails? You talk about that oftentimes just in your life, but what are some things that either you've not done or that you've done that you look back and go, "I need to do more of that," or "But these have keep me from burning out, you know, keeping going." And there's probably times where you're like, "God, this is <laughs> this is getting hard." And, yeah, yeah,
0: well, it's always hard. Yeah, in fact, if if it's hard, you're probably doing it right. Yeah. Um, my dad's 84. Hmm. No lie, two years now, nah, probably less than two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, he calls me. He says, Andy, he says, uh, he's and he's still the pastor at First Baptist, still mm-hmm. preaches. He'll preach four on, take four off, three on. He he started a series yesterday on the men in the Bible. He's 84. He's going <laughs> to oh, preach through. But I started with Adam. Yeah. Okay. So you know, there's no no backing down. Mm-hmm. So he calls me about a year and a half ago. He says, Andy, he says I uh, <laughs> I want to talk. I want to talk to a pastor who maybe is just a little bit older than me because I have some questions. Your dad? <laughs> yes. I said, well, dad, I'm not sure there are any that are still preaching. Uh, wow. And the ones that are older than you, I'm not sure they're going to be able to give you coherent yeah. answers. I said, but I'm curious, what would you ask a pastor who is older than you? And no lie, this is what he said. He said, "I would ask them, does it get any easier?" <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I uh, said, "That's not very encouraging to me." <laughs> mm-hmm. What do you mean, does it get any easier? Because anybody who's trying to stay on the front line, whether it's preaching, teaching, leading a church, writing music, leading, you know, students, uh, dropping into a middle school environment mm-hmm. and looking around, going, "Uh oh, this isn't going to work here. I'm going to have to adapt. I have to change my approach." It's always hard. It's always challenging because it's always. People mm-hmm. and it's hundreds of stories, dozens of stories, thousands of stories. So, um, if, it, if it's hard, you're probably doing it right. Yeah. So, then the question, back to your real question, is so, what do you do to, to keep from burning out? And so, my sort of go to answer is everybody needs to figure out what refreshes them, mm-hmm. what kind of brings life back to them. And that's not an original answer. And yeah. you just have to make sure you got a bunch of that in your schedule. Yeah. Whether that's nature, reading, that's good. family. Yeah, you know, dinner with your husband or wife, and just sitting there to like run you out because you you just stayed there and talked like you used to. What what gives you life? It's got to be in your yeah. schedule, and if you schedule that out because it never seems important, and mm-hmm. for most of us, what I that that um, thing whatever that is, it's not helpful, and it's not productive, and it feels like a complete waste (laughs) of time because there's nothing to show for it at the other side uh, end. But there is. This is how you have longevity. This is how you keep from burning out. Hmm. And I've had so many pastor friends, and I've known of so many pastors specifically who just hit a wall in their 40s. They're usually in their 40s or early 50s, but usually the late 40s yeah. They just they just shut down, and they have just been running on fumes, and they spiritualize it, and it's what God's called me to do, and I'll sleep when I'm dead and all those <laughs> oh, no. stupid things that we say. Yeah. But this is a marathon, and so finding those environments, those relationships that are replenishing and making sure they're in yeah. the schedule. And then the second thing is everybody should enjoy going home. Mm-hmm. And if there's something about home that's not – enjoyable, or attractive, you need to pay attention to that. Mm. You may not be able to fix it immediately, but you got to pay attention to that because if that's not getting better, then your heart will drift from home. And that doesn't mean you'll have an affair, though you might. It doesn't mean you'll get divorced, though you might. But if there's a tension between I like being in the office or I like being away more than I like being home, you Mm. have to pay attention to that because home should be one of those places that's Mm -hmm. replenishing. And um, again, that's... You know, that's you may be single and you think, hey, you know, I don't enjoy my roommate. That's a big deal. Yeah. Or I don't like to go home because of who's there. That's a big deal. So I think those two things, uh, looking back, have been a big part of it. And, you know, my kids are all in their 20s now and out of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, but those years of that we talked about earlier where they're little and it's full time <laughs> and it's full on and yeah. you can't get home early, you know, quick enough because your wife's like, please Help. come home. Again, even in the midst of all of that chaos and excitement, um, mm-hmm. there has to be the margin to, to refuel. You got to sharpen the saw. Otherwise, um, to your point, no matter how godly you are or how committed you are there are just some barriers you just cannot physically and emotionally push through. What's your kind of thing that
1: fills you up that you would say I, I don't feel like I'm doing anything but
0: Well, it has it's been different things in different seasons. When my boys were younger, I coached baseball. Yeah. and I could you know when I would leave the house with them in the car or for whether it's practice or a game, mm-hmm. I could just everything about work just disappeared yeah. because it was engaging. And this is the thing about a hobby we need hobbies that engage our minds and our emotions. Uh, Rick Warren said something years ago that I thought was so smart. He said, If you work with your brain, you need to have a hobby where you work with your hands, mm-hmm. if you work with your hands, you need to have a hobby where you work with That's your good. mind, and so for me baseball was so physical mm-hmm. so it was it was just so replenishing <laughs> yeah. uh, and so then once they grew out of that i've had to look for for other things and it's been challenging but we're in a different season of life mm-hmm. so i you know the, if i go home early it's just me and the dog yeah, <laughs> yeah. so but it but it, you know every season requires some adjustments but you got to have that margin you have to have that thing you look forward to so
1: you've read a lot of books <laughs> a lot of you've books. written a lot of books yeah um, what are a couple that have influenced you? You think the most that I've read? Yeah, yeah. that the,
0: you know, other than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah, no, yeah. Outside of the scriptures, the the books that have that have impacted me the most. Um, and this won't come as I mean, this is uh, so many people read this book. And they sold millions of copies. was the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People mm-hmm. by Stephen Covey. In fact, this Sunday, interestingly enough, I'm going to reference that book. Um, Stephen mm-hmm. was uh, Mormon, but that book. Uh, I read it early on in my leadership development. Mm-hmm. It was it was huge. In fact, the phrase I just used, "Sharpen the saw," that comes directly from okay. that book. The other book that I read that really shaped me um, was a book called The Leadership Challenge. It was written in the eighties, mm-hmm. and I, I just go back to that book over and over and over, just in terms of personal development and um, you know, just you know, being a better leader, which is a big deal to me. I don't read many um, popular. Christian books, yeah. and I don't know why. I mean, I write them, and I'll, my friends write them, and yeah. <laughs> I read theirs so I can write endorsements. But uh, I spend most of my time reading historical fiction mm-hmm. and theology. Mm-hmm. But it's just what I like. And going back to your earlier question, one of the most relaxing things for me where mm-hmm. I just replenish is you know, building a fire and sitting down with a book mm-hmm. and just leave me alone. <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> happy you know, I'm happy as I can possibly be. So That's good. What's the
1: best marriage advice you ever got or that you'd give? Looking back. Wow. I mean, there's. A, I don't want that to be two different questions, but everybody listen, you know, just married.
0: Yeah. Um, Sandra and I, by comparison, and because I'm in a ministry, I've heard every story in the world and seen every kind of marriage thing. We were and are have so much in common, and we came from such almost identical backgrounds in mm-hmm. terms of family. We've had a very easy marriage. Mm-hmm. And even the... The tumultuous stuff of children and health issues and rushing to the hospital and she's had stuff and I've had stuff. You know, Even with all of those kinds of things, um, we, we've we just from the very beginning been on the same page about a lot of things. Yeah. So you say, well, that's super helpful, Andy, because I didn't marry somebody <laughs> just like me. But the, the the takeaway is I was raised in a very unhealthy – watching a very unhealthy marriage. My parents got divorced when I was – my 40s. My dad's a pastor. My mom was a counselor. They, I mean, there wasn't like, oh, if you just become a Christian, you'd have a Christian marriage. It? Yeah. And my takeaway from that is this that little things become big things when they're not mm-hmm. addressed. They just will. Little mm-hmm. things, there's no little thing that won't become a big thing. Yeah. And it happens when people get to their 40s. It is just amazing. You can outrun most anything till you get to your 40s and yeah. then it's going to catch up. Yeah. So if you've not faced it and wow. dealt with it and been honest about it, it is going to catch up you cannot outrun certain things because you're dragging them along behind you <laughs> they are attached to you yeah the here's the imagery when we when Allie got her little puppy when she was 14 years old a little Cavachon, little doodad you know white puffy <laughs> dog we were in the backyard And um, we had a a black lab, a big dog, and we had a a hole cut in our fence so our black lab could go from the front yard to the backyard. But she only knew – she knew where the hole was so she could Mm -hmm. go front and back. So it looked like we still had fence around our yard. So I didn't want this new little dog to find that hole and run out in the front yard. So I decided my solution would be I would tie a watering bucket (laughs) on the end of a leash so that if she tried to go through the hole, the watering bucket wouldn't fit and she wouldn't be able to get through. Okay, So picture a big green plastic – Bucket. And this is like the worst idea I ever had. <laughs> on the end of her leash. Well, um, she's just she's you know I don't know how old she was. She's a puppy. Yeah. Well, she moves and it was sitting on the patio and she heard this sound of this scraping and she uh-huh. turns around and there's this big green thing and it's following her. her. So what does she do? Right. She ran. <laughs> And to this day you can ask <laughs> Sandra and Allie, our dog that dog hates me. It's scarred it scarred Khaki for life. She hates me. If oh, I hilarious. khaki will not come to me when I say, Here, Khaki, scarred her. <laughs> and she ran all the way up in the backyard, all the way across our backyard, with this big bucket just banging after her. She kept looking back like, It's chasing me. Well, it wasn't chasing her. It was tied to her. Yeah. Well, that is true of our past. Mm. You cannot outrun it. It is tied to you. So the earlier you can face those things mm-hmm. face those demons face those inordinate emotion, emotions those those you know i over overreact all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. because unfortunately you know what's an individual problem quickly becomes a marriage problem so just dealing with that stuff mm-hmm. sooner or better and, and don't be afraid to ask for help yeah do not i mean we've both seen uh, friends who they just waited too long to ask for help mm-hmm. by the time they were transparent by the time they Called us to find them help or a yeah. counselor, you're thinking, oh, well, you should have called two years ago. You know, you've mm-hmm. been, but we, in ministry, we're always tempted to keep secrets, carry secrets. We're yeah. supposed to be perfect. Our marriage is supposed to be perfect. Our kids are supposed to be perfect. Yeah. And uh, again, watching my parents, I just decided a long time ago, I'm not doing that. Yeah. I, I would rather people know how bad it is now than to hide it and it gets so bad later, mm. everything implodes. Mm, so, there, you know, there's a lot we could say about that, but that's my uh, two cents on that.
1: You guys have raised three awesome kids. Any parenting
0: advice? Yeah, have dinner as much at home as possible. <laughs> okay. Do not go out to eat. The point of dinner is not eating, it's talking. Yeah. And you cannot talk in a restaurant like you can at home. Yeah. So if Sandra were sitting here and you were to say, Hey, what's the secret? you know, well, there's no secret. But five nights a week, six yeah. nights a week, we ate dinner at home mm. with our family, mm-hmm. all the way, th- all growing up. Even when they were teenagers, Sandra would look at the calendar and say, okay, we got two baseball games and a recital, but nobody planned anything for Wednesday and Thursday night. We're having dinner at home. And yeah. she was yeah. so yeah. diligent about keeping us in that circle. It was, uh, and I didn't have to travel much. First 10 years of this church, I I've rarely went anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, you know, for men and women who have to travel, I get that. It's different. But that dinner time around the table Wow, you you learn a lot yeah. that you can't learn any other way. It's good. I good. I feel pretty confident. You still play music, piano? Yeah, I don't. Every once in a while, I pick up the guitar and realize how horrible I am. <laughs> <You're not laughs> My horrible. fingers don't work. And I can't, you know, I I I just did not keep up with it. And honestly, this is going to sound like, again, I'm making this up. I promise this is absolutely true. I remember sitting in our auditorium here early on, right after we built the building. Mm. You were up there, Todd, in the band. And I just felt this sense of, I don't have to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was about that time that I sold everything in my music studio. Um, In fact, I think by that time I had sold everything and Mm -hmm. was thinking about maybe I should kind of get back into that. And I remember watching you guys thinking, I don't need to do this. Mm -hmm. This is so much better than I ever thought it would be. I'm not going to add anything to this. If anything, everybody will be diplomatic and say, "Hey, Andy, you know that's good. You know, why don't you come to a songwriting session? We'll try to use two or three of your lyrics to make you." I just thought I am staying out of that. It's, yeah. Again, it's it's the I'm living the dream. We have extraordinary music, extraordinary musicians. Um, my daughter plays guitar and piano, and so mm-hmm. I taught her to play. So that's something we have in common. But other that's than that. Great. It's all yours, Todd. (laughs)
1: Well, for those who don't know, you're you're a mean piano player. Let's close with this. If you could go back 21
0: years to the beginning of North Point on this journey, is there anything that you'd do different? There's not. Okay. And that's not a statement of arrogance, and it's not that there weren't things that couldn't have been – it's not that there weren't things that could have been better. Everything could be better. But I – this is one of the things – one of the areas where I'm so grateful. Um, I – I am a consensus builder, and it's always been easy for me to listen to the advice of other people. I, I, it's not a spiritual discipline. It doesn't make me a better—it's it, not because I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm you a great person. I think part of it's fear, that I fear making the wrong decision. So consequently, it is my it is my personality to be very open-handed when it comes to information. So we've always had elders— Mm -hmm. We've always had a stewardship team. I've always had a leadership team. I go to more meetings than anybody I know that does what I do. I mean, when I tell other pastors my schedule, they look at me like, why all those meetings? And I'm like, because there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. I don't want to make Mm -hmm. a mistake. I am not the smartest person in the room. I've never been had the illusion that I'm the smartest person in the room. I'm just the leader. Right. And so I've been so blessed to be surrounded by extraordinary men and women who have helped us make great decisions. I have been outvoted by our elders on two big occasions where they we voted, and it was 9 to 1 or 10 to 1. I was the one, and I did what they thought we should do as a church, and they were exactly right. So um, I, I think that's one of the reasons during these 21 years, I mean, we've had bumps and twists and turns like you know any organization, mm-hmm. but no, no big train wrecks, nothing that I look back and go, wow, I wish we'd built bigger or I wish we'd borrowed more money or less money. Yeah. Um, and there really is wisdom when you get the right men and women in the room who understand the mission, understand the vision, and really have the best um, interest of the organization in mind. So I'm just extremely, extremely grateful for that. Well, I just want to say thank you for
1: friendship. Thank you for giving me a shot with guitar back yeah. in the day.
0: Wow! Yeah, and um, who would have, I mean? Who would have thought? You know? Yeah, and then you and your red. Oh, oh my gosh, kind of it was a red Kramer. Yeah, the Kramer a banana and, headstock, and you could play every Eddie Van Halen lick.
1: It was just unbelievable. <laughs> this is something I'll end with. I remember we went on a mission trip out west, and. We went to this boys' facility where these uh, guys were being in rehab. Yeah, some of them had committed murder. Some of them had, yeah. you know— It was rough environment. Yeah, head. it was rough. And uh, our band goes in there, and I'm like, this is crazy. This is kind of a rough environment. We're going to go play our church songs in there? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we we played. We, we played some of our original material, and our band played. And I got, you know—I I remember one of the songs I played some— Two handed tapping electric thing, and it was some Van Halen esque guitar thing. And I had a bunch of guys come up after and say, Wow, that was amazing. And you can I remember you came over to me after this service and you said, You said, God's going to use that. Mm. And um, he has, yeah, he has in a big, big way, Todd. And so it's crazy. Um, if you're out there thinking, You know, how can God use, you know, what I've got this thing that I do that, you know, he can. So be faithful. Keep pressing on. And, be available. Uh, be available. And he will use it. So thank you. Thank you for your time. Yeah. And uh, we love all you guys out there on the front lines and churches week after week. Um, whether you're a pastor or worship leader,
0: you're bringing Jesus and hope and life to people. So thank you for what you do. And you're raising the next generation mm-hmm. of church leaders, the next generation of worship leaders, pastors, and church planners. Yep. So pay attention to what's going on at home. Absolutely. Thanks, Andy.
1: Hey, thanks for listening today. And we want you to remember that as you lead, we stand with you. There are thousands in the kingdom united with you to bring the message of hope in Christ as you lead week after week. We'll see you next time.